Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, October 14th, so I guess that all happened at the 2021 Indian Wells yesterday was a funky day of results. Of course, the one catching us all off guard, Daniil Medvedev overcomes a set and 4-1 deficit to knock off top seed and 2021 U.S. Open champion Daniil Medvedev in three sets. That wasn't your only funky upset of the day, folks. Taylor Fritz, maybe the win of his young career as he knocks off Yannick Sinner in straights to advance to his first Masters 1000 quarterfinal. Of course, on the women's side, you had the full Yelena Ostapenko experience in her three-set win over Shelby Rogers. You had Vika Azarenka continuing her track record of success at Indian Wells, earning a straight-set victory over Jessica Pagula on today's show. I want to talk about all of those results, break down the men's round of 16 action, talk about our first two quarterfinals we saw yesterday in the women's singles competition. Of course, before I do any of that, just quick reminders for all of you listeners. A, if you're looking for preview content, you can hear that each and every day on our Great Shot podcast feed. I offer my ace of the day selections. Hopefully, we end the tournament stronger than we've started it. Unfortunately, just again, the funkiness of these results have caught me off guard. Nevertheless, I feel confident in my picks for Thursday. I feel like we're going to nail this championship weekend. So again, preview content, you're looking for picks. That's over on the Great Shot podcast feed. Some non- Indian Wells related content of late from us here at Crack Rackets as well. We recapped the ITA All-American men's competition over on our Great Shot podcast feed. Mastikoya, Chris Halioris joining me as always to do that. We talked Challenger Tennis on Monday with Damien Kust and Diaka Bobro. And over on our Cracked Interviews feed, Two fun interviews this week. Had the opportunity to sit down with former NCAA singles finalist, former Miami women's associate head coach Laura Valverdu to talk about her illustrious career, to discuss the difficulties of going from the college ranks to trying to break into the pros. And then, of course, transitioning from player to coach as well. We geek out. It is a really fun conversation. I know you all will enjoy. Of course, we also had the chance to chat with former Valpo men's tennis head coach. He was the head coach for 35 years before, unfortunately, the program was canceled in 2020. Nevertheless, the career of Jim Doherty has impacted so many people throughout the college tennis world, and we had the chance to document his retirement ceremony. You can see that over on our YouTube channel. I also had the chance to sit down with him one-on-one to talk about his career, talk about the difficulties and the joy of building a program from scratch and all of the success they had at Valpo during his tenure. Those podcasts over on our Crack 
Cracked Interviews podcast feed, and of course, all of that content available on the website, CrackRackets.com. If you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at CrackRackets, at GreatShotPod, tweeting throughout the day. Of course, last but not least, I do want to give a shout out to all of you listeners, our Crack Rackets Patreon family, for the support you offer all of us here at Crack Rackets day in, day out. Sincerely, without you all continuing to listen each day, we wouldn't be able to do all of the things we love to do here at CR. So thank you to all of you. If you're looking for some bonus content throughout the year, bonus content down the home stretch of Indian Wells, we are offering match of the day segments to our Crack Rackets Patreon family, of course. <clears throat> Excuse me, last but certainly not least, I do want to give a shout out to our friends over at Tennis Point, the lifeblood of this mini break podcast feed, and of course the lifeblood for so many tennis players across the globe, as they offer the best equipment at this, the best prices across the tennis market if you have any equipment needs. We're transitioning from the summer to the fall. Things get a little bit colder. Maybe you need to restring your racket a little bit tighter. Maybe you need to upgrade those grip ups, uh, you know, get all that summer sweat off of your racket, or maybe you just want to treat yourself. New pair of shoes, new pair of pants, new pair of shorts, new pair of socks, whatever it may be, you can find it all. I don't know who treats themselves with a new pair of socks. That's Treat yourself better than that, but of course, if whatever you are looking for, maybe it's gifts for the holiday season for your tennis playing friends, you can find it all on our website, ten, uh, on the website, tennis-point.com. Of course, you use our promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your order, free, two-day shipping on all orders, exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Again, that's tennis-point, the symbol, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, let's get into Wednesday, October 13th results at Indian Wells, the place we have to start, your upset victory of the day. It feels like each and every season, Grigor Dimitrov delivers us at least one big performance at a major hardcourt event. This year, it's come at Indian Wells as he overcomes a 6-4-4-1 deficit to knock off 2021 U.S. Open champion and top seed this year, Daniil Medvedev. To advance to the quarterfinals, you look for what Grigor's accomplished here this season. A 21-15 highlight record, that doesn't sound particularly impressive on its surface. And I said highlight record, I should say 21-15 overall record as a highlight of his year. You know, again, that doesn't sound particularly impressive. But from a more nuanced look, in particular for him on hard courts this season... He's been rock solid, 17-9 overall on the surface. He started the year out with a quarterfinal at the Australian Open, knocked out Karino Busta, knocked out Dominic Team in straight sets before, of course, falling in four sets at the time seemed like an upset victory to Aslan Karatsev. I suppose it still was an upset at the time, but we all know what Karatsev has gone on to do elsewhere throughout the year. Round of 16 for him in Cincinnati before getting knocked off by Medvedev was a semifinal for him last week. He knocked off Aslan Karatsev in San Diego before getting knocked off in three by Kasparud, Ruud, but also earned an impressive three-set win over Fucevic in his first-round match there. Now, again, there are some surface-level losses that at the time seem disappointing. He loses Miami round of 64. That's a first match for him to Cam Norrie. Of course, Cam Norrie has now reached 10 quarterfinals here in Indian Wells, arguably your most improved player of the 2021 ATP season, top 15 in the points race. That's not a bad loss. A loss to Ilya Vashka, 2-6 in his first match in Washington at the City Open. Again, Ivashka made, what, five consecutive quarterfinals, something crazy? 
crazy like that since the start of the summer hardcourt season that's not a bad loss. Like It's really just not. And then, of course, in Canada, he loses his first match to Riley Opelka. Well, Riley Opelka goes on to make the final of the freaking event. So, again, with context being key, yes, the loss to Alexi Popperin at the U.S. Open loses those first two sets, 7-6, before having to retire for Love Down in the third. That was a disappointing defeat for him. No doubt about that. And I guess at the start of the season, the quarterfinal loss to Quarantine Mute in Australia— not the best loss, but of course, he went on to make the Australian Open quarterfinals after that. Grigor Dimitrov's been damn good on hard courts this season, and you look from a percentage standpoint, again, the big thing for him on hard courts, he's breaking serve 29.8% of the time. That would be a top 10 number. Now, he's breaking serve 26.1% uh, of his matches this season. Sneakily impressive for Grigor Dimitrov, who has found himself within the top 25 club, top 25 in both hold percentage and break percentage, actually throughout the majority of the season. Now, right now, he's fallen a little bit outside of that. You look for Grigor Dimitrov. The big thing for him is the hold percentage has just fallen out of that range. He's actually still a top 25 guy in terms of break percentage, but hold percentage, he's fallen down to 28th overall. But again, he's been pretty rock solid across the board and just for him in this victory against Daniil Medvedev uh, in this round of 16 match it was the physicality he displayed that was so impressive and of course it's worth reminding everyone you know Grigor Dimitrov came down with COVID very uh, early on in the pandemic and it did take him a significant amount of time to recover physically just to find his footing again to find his comfort level competing on court He's found it again, though, here at the end of the season. And what he was so you know impressive about his overcoming that deficit was just the willing uh, his willingness to suffer, his decision to change tactics, and you know not play as gr- aggressively early in the rally, being willing to last 10, 15, 20 shots with Daniil Medvedev because, of course, Daniil Medvedev will get a little bit impatient in rallies, and you know for Grigor Dimitrov who does hit the backhand slice so effectively. He lulled Daniil Medvedev to sleep. He baited Medvedev into playing a little overly aggressive on that wing or trying to force inside-in forehands that just weren't quite there. And of course, when you test the -the on-the-run Grigor Dimitrov forehand, that's when Dimitrov shows up some of his best stuff and his ability to change directions when he was on the run on that forehand wing because, of course, uh, Medvedev did do his best and he is so exceptionally good at, you know, camping and, you know, parking the bus in that ad side of the court. He does it against Rublev every time they play. That was his initial strategy here against Grigor. Just serves the backhand, fire to that backhand corner, force Grigor to try and be over-aggressive and make a down-the-line play and beat uh, Grigor to the spot. That's what he was doing so well early through the first set and a half. And, you know, again, he was serving so well as Daniil Medvedev so frequently has of late on hard courts. But Medvedev changed his tactics, and I forget who tweeted it, or Dimitrov, excuse me, changed his tactics, and I forget who tweeted it out. But I think he played, it was something like 72% of his backhands in this match were played as backhand slices, just a neutralizing ball, and you kept that ball low on Daniil Medvedev. You didn't give him any pace, any topspin to work with, anything he wanted he had to generate himself, and Daniil Medvedev does that well, but that is the thing he still... Of his, I mean, he doesn't have a definitive weakness, but when the best of the player best can match his physicality, that is something he will occasionally struggle with. And again, 
Dimitrov, whenever he had plus one opportunities, he was so efficient with his approach shots, the depth he got on them, the precision of where he was hitting them to, and obviously Grigor Dimitrov's hands at the net. He knows where to go, what to do with the first volley, executed extraordinarily well with his drop volleys throughout the day as well. It was his willingness to change direction, backhand down the line, forehand down the line, on the run forehand, cross court, just beating Medvedev to the spot, and then again, Forcing Daniil Medvedev to hit forehands in uncomfortable positions on the court, Medvedev would force that ball a little bit long or miss it at the top of the net. Just the sort of errors he makes when his contact point on that forehand wing is a little bit off. So again, all of the credit in the world to Grigor Dimitrov, who you know makes 80% of his first serves against Daniil Medvedev, knew how important it was to, at a minimum, just get a look at a neutral plus one ball. Because of course, if you're firing second serves to Daniil Medvedev, you're you're out of luck. I don't know a better way to put it. You're, he is just going to paint that ball on the baseline, and you're just going to have no, no space, no you know time to do anything with that return of serve. And Dimitrov made a good job, you know, concerned effort to just make you know pick his location more than anything else with his serve to set up the first forehand, and he hit that forehand extraordinarily well. And now again, you look for Grigor Dimitrov with his run here to the quarterfinals. He's back up to number twenty-six in the live rankings. You look for Grigor Dimitrov here in the points race this season, currently thirty-first overall, which of course is important for when the rankings formula goes back to normal, whenever that may be. He's still going. To to be a top 32 guy, which of course, with all the young guys, not you know, chomping at the bit, it's a critical place for him to be. And Grigor Dimitrov, 30 years old, definitely at the back half of that prime, but still within his prime. When you look at the numbers for him this season, that 80.6 hold percentage, that's a percent, you know, 1.8% below his career average. His break percentage, 26.1. It's 4.1% above his career average. And, you know, again, I think the serve his serve on clay was particularly ineffective this season but I think on a hard court Grigor Dimitrov continues to show again top form he's been rock solid on the surface it's the non-hard court surfaces that he struggled and of course some of that is a byproduct of just his lack of comfort from a physical perspective earlier in the year but you know again he's comfortable now he's healthy playing his best tennis here at Indian Wells. The slow conditions just give him that much more time to get to the ball. He's so fluid in and out of corners. He makes tennis look beautiful. I mean, he's a beautiful-looking man, so he makes a lot of things look beautiful. But again, fantastic victory for Grigor Dimitrov. Of course, it's a little disappointing for Daniil Medvedev, given he was up a set in 4-1, and this really makes it, you know, he had a shot at ending the year number one at surpassing Novak Djokovic, despite the fact Djokovic won three Grand Slams. That's how good Medvedev's been week in, week out, and how consistent he's been across surfaces. But now, you know, again, that becomes a little bit tougher here after getting knocked out. That's the only disappointment for Daniil Medvedev. Other than that, it's a round of 16 loss to a guy in Grigor Dimitrov who, you know, it's been a funky week of results at Indian Wells. This is another funky but one, but, you know, Grigor made that match funky. Grigor showed he was willing to suffer. And again, on this court, if you can't get a ball by him, he's got the explosiveness to, if he has time to step into his shots, just beat you to the spot. And he is comfortable on these slow surfaces, moving forward, finishing points at the net. And I believe after the match, Daniel Medvedev said, yeah, if Dimitrov plays like he did in the back set and a half, no one is going to beat 
him here in these conditions because, again, Grigor just has that much time to get into everything he wants to do, and you can't give Grigor Dimitrov time because when you do, he's on his front foot. He becomes a shot maker. Grigor Dimitrov advancing to the quarterfinals again, upsetting top seed Daniil Medvedev, 4-6-6-4-6-3 to advance to the quarterfinals. By the way, for those curious for Grigor Dimitrov, because it does feel like a slow hard court should play well for him in his career. You look for him overall at Indian Wells now in his career. I believe this is his second I want to say Indian Wells. No, first Indian Wells quarterfinal. That's, you know, again, a little shocking for him, but I guess not, you know, slow, hardcore. I guess Clay has never been his best thing, but he's locked in right now. And it just, again, that he played an exceptional match against Daniil Medvedev. So he advances uh, to the quarterfinals of Indian Wells for the first time. Of course, that was your most pronounced upset of the day. I actually think, though, I was less surprised by that result than I was by the fact that Taylor Fritz knocked out Yannick Sinner and not just knocked him out, but beat him in straight sets as well. And I believe Fritz made four unforced errors in the first set, in a 6-4 first set over Yannick Sinner. And I believe he made zero unforced errors in racing out to a four-love lead and just you know, again, for Taylor Fritz in this matchup, or it wasn't a four-love lead, excuse me, but he made four unforced errors in that first set and just four Fritz on these courts because for Taylor, movement has always been the issue. Fluidity in and out of the corners, his ability to start and stop. I think, you know, north-south, he's not the slowest mover. It's the east-west that gets him in trouble. And of course, so much of tennis nowadays, given how baseline-centric it is, is played east-west. That said, you slow things down a little bit. You play on a surface where the ball is bouncing a little bit higher, a little bit closer to his strike zone. Taylor Fritz is going to look so extraordinary, and he has all week long. Straight set wins for him over Nakashima, Berrettini, and Sinner. That's a legit run to a Masters quarterfinal, folks, and you look for Fritz on this day in particular. What he had so much success doing was, again, just firing in, you know, serve after serve after serve, percentage after percentage, kick after kick after kick, just creating these little spaces for himself. And you look for him across the board, nothing too pronounced, only won 58% of his first serve points, but also won 55% of his second serve points, five of eight in terms of break points saved and seemed to always find a first serve when he needed it. The key was just how dynamic Fritz was, again, in the outer thirds, his combination of length, power, and then just contact point. I mean, Taylor Fritz's ground strokes are beautiful. And for him, again, the problem has always been the athleticism. To show off the beautiful ground strokes, you have to be able to get to the ball. But on this surface, he has time to get to the ball. And again, Yannick Sinner is hitting such a heavy topspin forehand, so much, you know, again, spin on that ball already. Fritz gets to bunt down. Fritz gets to drive through that ball, absorb, redirect the topspin, and add his own pace to it. I mean, the backhand for Taylor Fritz has always been so beautiful, so condensed, and his ability to hit that ball short angle, his ability to blast it down the line from the baseline. Taylor Fritz can do a lot of things, and he does have plus power from the baseline, but he also has good depth on each and every ground stroke he hits. His rally ball is not just, you know, a Mach 10 rally ball. It's not Berrettini where he's swinging Mach 10 on every shot. Taylor Fritz will hit the 75% rally ball, you know, six times in a row cross court to set up the Mach 5 inside in forehand down the line and just... He's got the skills to pull them off as well, and he's got that physical profile of your modern player, Taylor Fritz, who turns 24 years old at the end of this month, 6'4", 6'5", in height. 
easy fluid service motion now again he's not a good volleyer but he has gotten so much better here early in his career now at least knows where to go even if he's still not the best at executing the first volley and Sinner had plenty of looks at second passing shots in this match he made uh, Fritz pay at times but again for Taylor Fritz now with this victory 25 and 18 here in 2021, you look for him in the live rankings. He's back up to number 32 in the live rankings. You look for him in the points race. He's up to number 33 after his result this week. It's where he wants to be in the mix with Opelka, with Isner competing for the highest ranked spot amongst American men. And, you know, with this result, he sub- surpasses Sebastian Corda. He's built himself some comfort range between himself, Tiafo, Tommy, Mackie, Garone, uh, Jensen Brooksby, who's on the rise, of course, as well, and Nakashima, who's coming. Fritz wants to be there too and there's no denying seeing this younger generation of Americans emerge has inspired the Opelkas the Pauls the Fritzes the Tiafos of the world who have been quietly probably each of them has had the best season of their careers here this season and you look for Taylor Fritz he's holding serve 81.7% of the time that's his career average he's breaking serve 19.7% of the time that's a career high in terms you know in seasons where he's played more than 40 matches and that's a percent and a half above his career average Taylor's gotten better and he has become a more fluid mover in the outer thor- uh, outer thirds. You can see the strength he's put on. You can see, you know, again, his attempts to slide in and out of spots and he's gotten better. Still not good, still ways to go, but movement is always something you can improve and again on this surface just his ability. The thing you love about Taylor Fritz's game is the tennis has never been the problem for for him. It doesn't matter how hard his opponent is hitting the ball at him. It doesn't matter the weapons. Well, it does matter the weapons that they have in terms of expo- exposing his weaknesses, but with his serve, with his weapons, he's going to have a shot in every match. Obviously, when he plays his best tennis, uh, certainly he can hold serve, keep pace with the best of the best. And why this was so critical for Taylor Fritz is this confirms that fact. And you look for Fritz overall in his career, 14-34 and 34 against top 20 opponents. He's now 5-6 and six here in 2021, has wins over Sinner, Berrettini, Dimenauer, Shapo, Goffin, and, you know, played Djokovic extraordinarily close, five sets in Australia earlier this season, and was a four-set loss for him to Zverev, 7-6 in that fourth set at Wimbledon as well. Fritz has the weapons to compete against the best, and again, that's what was so impressive is his serve was, you know, he had the better serve than Yannick Sinner. He outserved Sinner on the day, and you look at his return stats yesterday for Taylor Fritz. He won 66% of his second serve returns, and, you know, again, just was able to convert five of the 12 breakpoint chances that he created for himself. He was extraordinary throughout the course of the match. Now, you know, for Sinner, clearly the serve is going to continue to be the thing for him as soon as that serve becomes a consistent weapon as soon as he's able, you know, to produce, you know, four to five, let's say, aces and just win over 70% of his first serves point in, point out, because obviously he's got the firepower to do it. It's just, again, improving his ability to find the plus one ball and just improving his serve targets as well. That's the missing piece for Yannick Sinner. And for a 20-year-old's missing piece to be the serve, and it's not like a, it's not a notable weakness. It's just not where it needs to be for him to be the elite of the elite. That's fantastic news for Yannick Sinner fans. And obviously, he would have liked to win this match, but I think it had more to do with Fritz, who's just been lights out at this event. 
arguably the win of his career. You look for Taylor Fritz. I mentioned it. Let's see. the five. Let's look in his career. I'm going to go by top 10 wins. We'll throw this center win in the mix, but the top 10 opponents he's beaten. He beat Berrettini, Davis Cup 2019. He beat Berrettini, Indian Wells this year. Zverev, Basel 2019. Fodnini, Los Cabos 2019. He beat Isner, Auckland 2019. Chilich, Indian Wells Masters round of 64 2017. I'm going to call this win against Sinner the biggest win of his career. Lock it in, folks. We're just going to go with it. Into the quarterfinals of a Masters event for the first time is Taylor Fritz, one of the many talented young American men going to be within their primes here in the 2020s. Uh, But of course, again, that was another notable, I suppose, upset on the day. Uh, You did have a notable dramatic three-set nightcap between Stefano Tsitsipas, who's been pushed to three sets in each of his matches here this week. Ultimately, he overcomes a set deficit to knock off Alex Diemenauer 6-7-7-6-6-2. Tsitsipas now 8-1 against Diemenauer in their career. And look, this was a fantastic week of tennis for Alex Diemenauer, who got two much-needed victories. Straight sets over Green in his round of 32 was particularly impressive. Gets that first set over Tsitsipas and just played confident tennis was, you know, using the top spin Tsitsipas was providing to bunt down on that backhand and to go big on his inside out and inside in forehands. He was showing off his speed, turning defense into offense, continuing to show off that he's a sneaky good volleyer at the net as well, but just didn't have enough juice down the home stretch to hurt Tsitsipas. The, the match was on Tsitsipas's terms from start to finish. And, you know, again, in those first two sets, Diemenauer had the legs under him, had the physicality to continue to push uh, Tsitsipas and to continue to, you know, keep pace with him on serve and create plus one chances for himself and come up with magic in the outer thirds of the courts. But, you know, again, in the end, this is a fantastic win for Stefano Tsitsipas, who's now 20-5. and five at the Masters here this season. Miami quarterfinals loses to the eventual champ, Hercots. Monte Carlo final, he wins, excuse me, wins Monte Carlo. Madrid round of 16, but he loses to Kasparut. That's not a bad loss. Rome quarterfinals, three-set loss to Djokovic. Canada semifinals, three-set loss to Opelka. Cincinnati semifinals, 7-6 in the third loss to Zverev. Now into the quarterfinals here at Indian Wells where he will play Nicolas Basilashvili. You look for Tsitsipas, career high for him. Uh, excuse me, career high in break percentage, 26.2%, 5.1% above his average. His 87.8% hold percentage is good for fifth on the ATP Tour and currently 1.7% above his career average. 54, you know, again, he leads, or I believe, yeah, he leads the ATP Tour in wins here this season. Only one, I believe, first match loss for him on the year as well. Let's see, for uh, Stefano Tsitsipas here this season. Yeah, I believe there's only one first match loss uh, for him on the year. Let's see. Yeah, one first match loss, and it was against Tiafo at Wimbledon. That's the one. That's it. That's his only first match loss this season. He showed the consistency. He showed the results at the highest level results. He won a Masters title. Again, he's made multiple quarterfinals semifinals, you name it, he's done it. Tsitsipas survives, knocks off, again, Demon Hour in three sets. But this was a much needed. Again, you come out of this, you're disappointed if you're Demon Hour, but you do realize, okay, I've got the confidence, I've got the momentum back on my side, heading into Paris, heading into Vienna, where he's got some points to defend here down the home stretch, but of course also heading into 2022. I would say those are your three most notable results of the day. They were not your only incredible tennis matches of the day. I mean, we've talked so much about Cam Norrie, so much about Tommy Paul of late. I'm not going to regale you with all of the stats again, but Norrie now into his 10th 
ATP quarterfinal of the season. That's tied with Andre Rublev for the third most on the ATP tour. Six four four six six two. He advances over Tommy Paul. This match was super physical, super high level of play extraordinarily difficult for either player to find free points. Both guys trying to work the outer thirds of the court. And of course, a lefty forehand seems to bring out the best in Tommy's backhand. And just, you know, both of these guys comfortable at the net. Both of these guys going to put a bunch of returns in play. Both of these guys going to use all the angles on their serves. This match featured a little bit of everything. The physicality was extraordinarily they uh, extraordinary. They were both playing at a high level as well. Just in the end, a little bit more in the tank in that third set for Cam Norrie. A little bit better with his serve locations. A little bit more consistent down the home stretch. But that's a great tournament for Tommy Paul still. Cam Norrie now, quarterfinals of Indian Wells. I mean, the guy can legitimately make a push for the year-end finals if he, you know, again, semifinals, finals here. Indian Wells makes another similar run in Paris. If He needs some some luck to go his way to catch up with Rude, with Hercots, with Sinner, but he's top 15 in the points race. You look for Cam Norrie now in the live rankings, and I'm recording this after he's beaten Diego Schwartzman. Cam Norrie now up to number 20 in the live rankings. That's a new career high. Perhaps more importantly, he surpassed Dan Evans. He will be the highest-ranked British man in the ATP, on the ATP Tour. What more can you say for a guy 20, what, six years old here now this season, clearly ascending into the prime of his career? He is my ATP most improved player of the year over Karatsev, uh, but he's he's just been fantastic. But that's a really good result, and I don't want to throw away what Tommy Paul did as well. And for Tommy now, he's up to number 54 in the live ranking, should get into Paris on his own ranking, won't have to play qualifying. That's always a big jump for any player when you can get into those Masters events on your own main ra- uh, on your own ranking. Top 50's in sight for him, and I know that was a goal to start 2021. So for Tommy Paul, things break accordingly. He can end this season in uh, in the top 50. He has shown that sort of level. Your other results on the day, we're going to blitz through them. Vasilishvili, 4-6 and six over Hatchinov. Slow, hardcore with how big he hits the ball. He's got the weapons to hit through anything, and you've slowed things down to minimize his weakness, which of course is his movement. I mean, he took a 2 Hatchinov, and just again, he's playing good tennis, reprehensible, but playing good tennis. I guess sticking with that theme, look, Alex Zverev should win this event. He has looked the best of anyone in the field. One in three over Gael Monfils. Monfils was playing checkers. Zverev was playing chess. Monfils couldn't hurt Zverev. Zverev's got the weapons to hit through anything, the length to track down anything, the serve to hit through anything, the return skills to put a million of those returns in points. He's getting better and better at the net with each passing day. He is that good, folks. He is that good. And again, uh, you know, ATP is investigating him for the accusations of physical and emotional abuse from uh, his former girlfriend, Alia Sharapova. You can read more about those accusations in Racket Magazine on Slate.com. Objectively, Alex Zirev has played outstanding tennis here in 2021. He is that good now. 2022, it's time for him to win a major. Uh, from a tennis perspective, of course, we don't know if he's going to be on the court, but from a tennis perspective, if he is, the expectations now are no longer make finals. It's win majors because he is that good. Uh, your other results on the day, Hubie Hercots, speaking of that good, 18-6 and six now since the start of Wimbledon, holding serve 91% of the time. That would trail only Isner amongst top 50 players. 6-1-6-3, he gets the victory over Aslan Karatsev. You look for him now quarterfinals here in Indian Wells Miami champion sunshine double the most delayed sunshine double but technically it's still in play 
And then Diego Schwartzman, 3-3. Three and three. He outlasts Casper Rude. Rude looked a little physically ailed throughout that match. But, hey, man, credit to Schwartzman for making the match a track meet, for attacking every serve and, you know, turning that match into essentially a ground stroke game and just jumping on Rude from the start, noticing Rude was a bit weary to start the match. Diego Schwartzman, Indian Wells quarterfinalist, highest win percentage of his career here this season. And you look for Schwartzman now in the live rankings, 14th currently, uh, 29 years old, prime of his career. Again, best win percentage for him in any season has come this season. He's only got one title, but it's still been a damn solid season for Schwartzman. Uh, He is number 16 in the points race, by the way. Still in the hunt technically for the year-end finals, but obviously has to make up some ground very, very quick and have some other things break his way. That said, those were your men's results on day seven. Of course, day eight is going to feature the first two men's quarterfinals. As I mentioned, Nori knocks out Schwartzman. Spoiler alert. But you've also got Hercots uh, taking on who's who be playing. It's at the tip of my tongue. I'll figure it out as we go along. But again, that should be a super, super exciting match. Who be Hercots playing? Uh, who's he got today? He's got Dimitrov. Duh. He's got Grigor Dimitrov. So again, that match should be a lot of fun. A lot of shot making uh, in that one. And so those were your men's results on the day. Of course, those were not your only results on the day. We also had two women's quarterfinals play out. Look, Yelena Ostapenko is always must-watch TV, in my opinion. Just the, you know, again, the volatility, point in, point out, match in, match out. You never know quite what you're going to get. And, of course, for those of you who have forgotten, when she was 19 years old, Yelena Ostapenko, 2017 French Open champion, Uh, has always had the talent, has always had the ability to hit the cover off of the ball from both wings, has always, when she's played her best tennis, been able to play anyone on her terms. But you look for Ostapenko, again, these past few seasons have been a struggle just in terms of finding her consistency. And, you know, again, week in, week out, bringing her best each and every tournament. You look for Yelena Ostapenko over these past, you know, 2017, she goes 45 and 21, 66 total matches, when 68% of her matches. The next three seasons, 2018, she's 28 and 22. Uh, in terms of finals reach, she makes one final in Miami. She loses that match to Sloan Stevens, doesn't make a final the rest of the season. 2019, uh, she goes 26 and 28 over makes two finals that year one of them uh coming i believe i want to say the the first final i want to say came in Linz, yeah where she got knocked off by coco golf in three sets she then wins the luxembourg title at the end of the season of course you can throw 2020 away for just about everyone she's nine and eight overall that season but look she's now overall here on the year yelena ostapenko 33 and 18 in her last 52 weeks, that's a 65% win percentage. Uh, again, highest number since that 2017 season, but you want to look more narrowly than that. Since the start of the grass court season, Yelena Ostapenko, 19-7 and now, 73% win percentage. During that run, she, you know, a loss in three sets to Martin Sova in Birmingham round of 16. That's the one you probably want to throw away. She then wins the Eastbourne title, wins over Pavlochenkova, Jabour, Kasekina, Rabakina, Kanteve. That's an impressive of a five-match stretches you're going to find in any event here this season. She then goes third round before losing in three sets to Tom Janovic. She makes round of 16 Cincinnati before losing 7-5 in the third to Kerber. Unfortunately, wasn't able to play the U.S. Open, but makes the final of Luxembourg before getting knocked out in three by Tossin. You know, lost to Sakari round of 16 in Ostrava, but now wins over Putinseva, Sviantek, and Shelby Rogers, 6-4, 4-6, 6-3 to advance to the Indian Wells semifinals. Again, 
19 and 7 in a three-month stretch, 73% win percentage. She's winning 66% of her first serve points. That would be a career high for her if sustained over the course of a full season. You look for her from a second serve standpoint perspective. Again, she's winning about 47% of those second serve points. That would be a career high by over 2% for her. She's winning 48.5% of her return points during that stretch. That would be a career high. It's all clicking for her from a confidence standpoint as well. Her ability to minimize the low swings, you know, again, when the unforced errors begin to pile up and when the winners begin to, uh, you know, she starts maximizing the winners as well and just able to find that zone more frequently, takes that ball so early on as a returner, so aggressively. And yeah, sometimes she'll spray long, but when she's connecting on the return, there's nothing the server can do. You look for Elena Ostapenko here this season, again, 65.3% hold percentage. That's a career high for her. 44.7 break percentage. That's her highest number since 2017 and only 0.4% below that career high in 2017 of 45.1. It's uh, 3.2%, excuse me, above her career average. She's playing the best tennis of her career. The metrics suggest it. The eye test suggests it. There's just a confidence which she's playing with as well. And look, she goes, you know, again, she's up 6-4 in that first set. It looks like she's cruising in that second set. And then it begins to slip from her. And Shelby Rogers starts landing more first serves and starts landing the big forehand and just playing with a little bit more freely. And she takes that second set 6-4. And then, you know, Ostapenko races out to an early lead in the third set only to see it begin to slip away. But she misses. She had a break point. I want to say it was for two love, maybe three love. I forget what it was in the first set. And she has the easiest overhead I've ever seen on an add out point. And she missed it wide. Like, it was a bouncing, slow bouncing. Rogers was like, you know what? Just make it. I lose. And she missed it wide. And it was it was humiliating. It was it was mortifying. No doubt about that. And that was the sort of shot where you've seen the pass from there. Ostapenko would just fall apart. And she didn't. And her power tennis went out in the end again. She had the bigger weapons than big hitting Shelby Rogers, who's been so outstanding here on hard courts here this season. Nevertheless, it's Yelena Ostapenko showing off the talent, finding a way to control the firepower she's always possessed. 6-4-4-6-6-3. She advances to her first Indian Wells semifinal. And obviously, you know, again, slow, hard court for Yelena Ostapenko, much like Basilevili. You can understand why she's found success here at this event here uh, this year. And you look for Ostapenko, yeah, first semifinal for her here at Indian Wells. She's obviously made a final in Miami before as well. Feels like the Sunshine Duo next year. We could be talking Yelena Ostapenko if she's able to keep this level up. Of course, again, your other winner on the day is someone who has traditionally had much success at Indian Wells. Two-time champion Victoria Azarenka ends the run of uh, Jessica Pagula of Azarenka, a 6-4-6-2 victory over the number 19 seed. You look for Vika, she's 181% of her first serve points. And even when you're winning only 33% of your second serve points, when you're, you know, she only faced four break points on the match because she made 61% of her first serves, won 81% of those points, was so efficient with her plus one ball whenever possible. She didn't allow Pagula you know, to play from the center third of the court. She was changing direction on Pagula, started out by hitting to the open space, then started incorporating hitting behind her, you know, took advantage of this surface to take the time to move forward whenever there was a ball in the air and played it as a swinging volley instead of letting it bounce. You know, again, just prevented Pagula from getting into her aggressive baseline patterns and all the credit in the world 
to Victoria Azarenka for that fact, who you just, again, you look for her this season. When she's been on court, she's been excellent. And I mentioned this fact earlier in the week, but she's got five withdraws here this season uh, where she just unfortunately couldn't play the match that she was scheduled to play. Out, You take those out of the map, though. She's 30-9. and nine. Overall this season, she's winning 77% of her matches. You look for Victoria Azarenka, that's her highest number since the 2016 season where, you know, again, she was Indian Wells champion, Miami champion, Brisbane champion. That 2016, you know, again, summer she started out so hot and I believe, you know, again, it, other than that season, you want to go back further. It's her highest since 2013, where, of course, she made a U.S. Open final and won Cincinnati there that summer as well. And so when we've seen Vika... She's been outstanding. 67.9% hold percentage. That's right around her career average. It's 0.5% below. 46.1 break percentage is 0.5% above. Again, much like we talked about with Angelique Kerber on a Patreon Match of the Day podcast that I now realize none of you are listening to, but you can hear how my brain is working at this point of the tournament. Much as I mentioned for that for our Cracked Rackets Patreon listeners, once you hit 30, 31, 32, 33 years old, the goods can be just as good. The problem is finding that good as frequently. And when Victoria Azarenka has been healthy, whether it was the end of last season, uh, throughout the duration of this season, she is still that good. And so, again, it's super fun to see a resurgent, energized Vika, you know, sunglasses on in the press conference. She's living her best life. Great run for Jess Pagula, who unfortunately is still now one point behind Alina Svitolina. It sucks because she's 2-1 and one against Svitolina on this season, but one point behind her in the points race currently ninth to Svitolina's eighth if you remove Osaka and Barty from the equation nevertheless though again you look uh here for Victoria Azarenka sort of has a shot if she wins this event she moves up to 25 15 points that would be 14 more than Svitolina that would be 15 more than Pagula she needs some help needs to make sure Conteve Kerber Bedosa well I guess one of Bedosa well Bedosa can win she needs Conteve and Kerber to lose now if they lose now and Victoria Azarenka ends up winning this tournament and and what she'd have to go through Ostapenko yeah so if she wins now and Conteve and Kerber lose in the quarterfinal finals vika is is in your eighth spot for the year-end finals in guadalajara and who wouldn't love to see vika in the mix there now whether she'd play or not is another story but that would be fascinating nevertheless that uh that is your other and those are your two women's quarterfinal results on the day and that's your action here on uh from wednesday at indian wells of course as i mentioned if you are looking for preview content each and every day we apologize the hour these mini break pods are going out nevertheless you can find all that preview content before each day's play begins over on the great shot podcast feed of course you can find all of the content on our website crackrackets.com you need the more immediate updates twitter instagram facebook youtube we are at crack rackets you want to message me directly i am at great shot pod a shout out as always to our super producers max fligner and daniel westoff for the f- of an editing job they do day in day out shout out as well to our friends over at tennis point remember it's tennis-point.com the promo code is cr15 with all that said for our super producers, Fliegner and Westoff, our friends over at Tennis Point. And from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. Talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.
Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. 